Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome to the Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. I'm Brenda Barker, the TIPQC Executive Director, and we have two very special guests with us today. Dan Weiss from Illinois Perinatal Quality Collaborative, as well as our own Teresa or Terry Scott. Both Dan and Terry manage their respective PQC data in their state, Perinatal Quality Collaboratives. Dan has been working with ILPQC North Shore University Health System in Evanston, Illinois, since September 2017. He's the Director of Data and Operations. Dan has an MPH in Community Health Sciences with a concentration in Maternal and Child Health, BS, in Biology Sciences, both from the University of Illinois at Chicago. Terry Scott is the TIPQC Data Manager. She received her MS in Biostatistics from the University of Michigan. She joined the TIPQC Operations Team in May 2009. So she's celebrating an anniversary this month. Terry's main role is to design, manage, and maintain the REDCap databases used to support the TIPQC QI projects, as well as the Tennessee AIM data. She's also responsible for creating the custom reports for each TIPQC QI project and the various stakeholders. She enjoys learning from the TIPQC participants and having the opportunity to educate them on the data side of QI, including statistical process control charts. Thank you both for joining us today. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, this should be a rich data field discussion, so I'm excited to hear more from both of you. Dan, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this work. All right. So I have a master's in public health, as you mentioned, and the concentration is in maternal child health and I remember my advisor in grad school as I was finishing my program of study and she was like Dan what electives are you going to take for your final semester final year and I was like oh maybe like a global health class blah 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 and she was like I strongly advise you to take epi part two and I'm like you sure she's like I think you should do it And uh, since then, I've been leaning more onto the data side, and I really like working in the intersection of healthcare and public health. And so when I was, when the Illinois Perinatal Quality Collaborative posting came across my desk six years ago or so, I, I saw it as a great opportunity to be able to still work in population level improvement, but also work with the healthcare teams and see actual data on the patients being cared for 
and seeing improvements in the work, which in some public health programs, it's hard to tell in a real-time manner if interventions are working or not. And so I really appreciate the ability of PQCs to be able to see if population health improvements are happening in real time. And if not, have the ability to pivot and make changes as opposed to waiting for the program or intervention to be done and then throw up your hands and be like, oh no, we gotta make some changes now and try again. So I really like that intersection of healthcare and public health. Super, thank you, Dan. Terry, same question. How did you get involved in data for PQCs? I, I feel my involvement was a bit more serendipitous. So my background is biostatistics. So I was at Vanderbilt University as a biostatistician supporting the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. So working in moms and babies, but in outcomes research and randomly had a meeting set up with one of the, the providers I was working with, with this new group called TIPQC and, and kind of just had a meeting about data in general, about a new potential project. And then it just kind of snowballed from there in terms of this provider going, you guys should really work with Terry. She really knows a lot about data. And at that time in biostatistics, I was shifting more to the data side and finding that if I could have more impact on the design of the data, the collection of the data, the choice of the data, then what kind of the results and what the findings were had a bit more of an impact. And I said, sure, let's, let's try this. I've never done QI. And then I attended a meeting with nurses and providers around the central line associated bloodstream infection, the CLABSI project. And there's a group of nurses from the University of Tennessee Children's Hospital came up and they went to the front, front of the room and they said, we took an oath to do no harm and we are doing harm because we are not providing the best care. And I went, whoa. And that was more impactful than anything that I had heard in terms of from outcomes research with p-values. And I went, yep, I want to be supporting this group. They don't necessarily know data. They don't know how to collect it, but that's what I can bring to the table and I can help folks understand that the changes that they're making are making improvements and we're potentially saving babies' lives, moms' lives, and we're having an impact on the care in Tennessee. Absolutely. Thank you, Terry. And I was there when we were working with Terry and we were all, yes, we really want Terry. And gosh, that just almost brings tears to my eyes hearing about the improvements and knowing that those are lives saved. And we may not know who they are or when, but we do know that this work makes a huge impact. So thanks, Terry. And we're glad that both you and Dan are on our data team. So I'm just going to do some round robin questions. And either one of you are welcome to jump in and add on to each other's questions. But let me start with you, Dan. Why is data important to collect? Great question, Brenda. So we just had our spring conference and I, I was sharing the phrase with the teams that are celebrating their hard work. We do quality improvement awards. And I was mentioning literally yesterday to the teams, the OB and neonatal teams that were at our conference that if you can't measure it, you can't monitor it. And a lot of the sites that are doing our QI initiatives, the, the folks that are being tapped to collect the data are nurses, providers who that is not their day-to-day -day job. They're joining the QI teams because they are committed to improving care and they are taking time to collect data on the patients for the specific initiatives outside of mostly outside of their 
normal duties. And it's so important to take the time to collect the data on the patients that they're caring for in real time because and look at it in real-time graphs so that we can see if they're making improvements on the key aims and measures of the initiatives. Because if that isn't the standard, then a lot of times they'll fall back into, well, we've always done it this way, or we've made the improvements, but we don't actually know if things are actually happening or if there's actually improvements happening with the patients. And so we take a lot of time to celebrate hospital teams collecting the data because that is really the foundation of our quality improvement initiatives. And if there was no data being collected, it would be very hard to understand if the patient safety bundles being implemented at the sites are actually making a difference in patient outcomes. Absolutely. And data tells a story. And, 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 I'll, and I'll chime in and add to that, Dan, the, the quote I always like to say is all improvement is change but not all change leads to an improvement. And unless you're actually collecting the data, because what we see a lot of times is hospitals want to fall back on the plan implement. We plan a change, we implement it, and we just think it's going to miraculously make an improvement. But unless you're collecting data, like you said, Dan, monitoring the data, you really have no idea if what you're testing, their tests of change are actually leading to improvement and if not, if there's just something else or it's actually making it worse. So unless you're collecting data through all of it before, during, after, you'll have no idea. Absolutely. Thank you, Terry and Dan. All right, let's ask Terry a question and then Dan, if you want to jump in as well. So Terry, what are outcome structure and balancing measures? We talk about those a lot. And why do they matter? And what can we actually tell from them? Sure. So whenever you're doing quality improvement, you do have your families of measures. You have your outcome measures, your process measures, your structure measures, and your balancing measures. And they all play a key part in understanding your system. Because quality improvement really is about improving a system, which is a very complex thing. It's not a single thing. So the outcome measures usually are the thing that you're trying to have the impact on, you're trying to improve. So think about it in terms of central line associated bloodstream infections, or think about it as length of stay, infant mortality, maternal morbidity, whatever it may be. So that's kind of that key measure that you're monitoring. The process measures, as they're kind of aptly named, have to do with the processes you're actually trying to improve. And usually in quality improvement, if you can start improving your processes, that will lead to improvements in your outcome measure. So it's an indication of those things that you're doing on the day-to-day. -day. So if you're thinking about bloodstream infections, are you washing your hands? Are you scrubbing the hub? Things like that. The structure measures are more those static resources or things that you have in place that influence processes and can in, in, in turn influence outcome measures. So some, some structure measures may more be things like, do you have a particular checklist in place? Do you have a resource cart? If you're talking about bloodstream infections with the sterilized and you know, things like that, do you have a policy and procedure in place around this particular, you know, process that you're doing? So that's kind of the idea of structure measures. And throughout all of quality improvement, you may be improving process measures, you may be implementing structures, 
with the hope of also improving outcome measures, but you always need to be making sure you are monitoring what are called balancing measures. So with balancing measures, the idea is you may be improving something, but you don't want to be making something worse. So one of our recent projects is around cord clamping. And so obviously our main outcome was to increase the percent of infants who were having their cord clamped after 60 seconds after birth. But what we wanted to make sure is that we weren't unduly making, say, APGAR scores worse. So even though we were, we were delaying the cord clamping, we weren't actually getting worse APGAR scores. And that's the idea of a balancing measure, that just because you're trying to improve something, you want to make sure you're not making something else worse in, in so doing. So it's a whole family of measures. They're all related to each other, and they're all worked into the idea of a system that you're trying to improve. And you really need to be tracking, monitoring, collecting all of them and looking at them coincidentally in real time to really understand what's happening in your system and with your changes and whether or not they're leading to improvements. Thanks, Terry. Dan, anything else you want to yeah, add to that? Yeah, I, I, that was great, Terry. Very succinct, and I'm going to use how you explain those because I can go a long way to say the same thing. One thing I will add that we've noticed is when it comes to motivation of teams, especially early on in an initiative, the process and outcome measures are going to come later especially if it's a new strategy that hospitals are working on and they have to work through clinical culture change. And so we think about how do we motivate teams to get into the thick of it and go beyond just quick wins sometimes and really work on some of those hard to change measures. And that's where we use structure measures as a way to motivate progress. Leslie Calderelli, our neonatal clinical lead, who I think may have been on a podcast, she kind of refers to structure measures as like changing the fibers of your systems you work in. And so we really try and encourage teams to look at their structure measures monthly as kind of a roadmap of the key strategies that they're putting into place and really helping them celebrate the fact that they're changing the clinical culture and the systems that they're working in, knowing that they might not see the process and outcome measures happen, the changes happening right away. But the fact is that they are still working hard at changing the culture in which they're in systems that they are working in. And so, for example, with our mothers and newborns affected by opioids initiative that ran a few years ago, hospital teams were working on strategies to implement universal validated self-reported screening tools for all pregnant people to identify substance use disorder. And that was a very new process for them. And the improvements in seeing screening rates go up was farther down the line and hospital we really were working to celebrate hospitals actually putting the standardized process in place and so that's where we really celebrated the collaborative overall moving from our little motif of a stoplight of not in place red working on it yellow and in place green to really celebrate that not only will we see the improvements in the patient outcomes and processes later, but we're also changing the systems in which we're working on. Super. So really looking at the entire system is so important. I appreciate that. Terry, one more for you. How can we know our data is accurate? 
I know this is one Terry likes a lot. Yes, this is the bane of my existence. No, so accuracy of data is incredibly important, no matter what you're looking at with data, but especially with quality improvement. There are different ways that you can kind of determine if your data is accurate, but unless you're collecting your data in real time and looking at your data in real time using what Dan, you know, can, and I'm sure can explain, and, and we may talk about in just a few minutes, the idea of run charts, you're really not going to know whether or not the data you're collecting is correct. But there, there's, to me, there's, you can do audits, you can do sampling, you can do chart reviews, because for most of our quality improvement, most of our hospitals are collecting their data using manual chart review. So as the babies are coming through their NICU or through their newborn nurseries, as the moms are under their care, they're reviewing the charts and they're extracting the data manually from the charts and, and kind of adding it to a spreadsheet or some type of data system that coincides with the measures that they're collecting. But other teams often because of the volume of, say, the births they have the month or the number of moms they have that have hypertensive episodes in their hospital month, they're doing polls, you know, data polls from their electronic medical record system, their EMR system. And when you have a very large volume of data, it's difficult to know if the data you're pulling is accurate. And so what a lot of our teams will do is say they then review 20% of the charts that they pulled in the last month, or maybe 10%, or maybe they say, okay, if the, the charts kind of meet this particular criteria of data, we're going to go back through and we're going to manually review it. So it, it's kind of a part and parcel of looking at your data, saying, you know, asking yourself, does this look accurate? Does this make sense? Does the range of data, does the percentage, if it doesn't, or you're not really having a good feeling, kind of going back and doing it. Another way that sometimes folks will determine if their data is accurate is really looking at the percent of their data that is missing or maybe incomplete. So if you're looking at, say, some outcome measure and you know you had 2,000 births in the month, but you're only getting a value out of, say, like 1,500 of those births, what is going on with those other 500 births? So sometimes the accuracy is actually going into your system and determining why data is missing. Is it because the EMR system needs to be improved for the data documentation? So instead of the data being documented in a note, it's actually being documented in a field that can be extracted in a report pool. So there's, there's lots of different ways. There's really no, I think, standard across all the hospitals. It really depends on your system. It depends on your EMR, depends on your data flow, your process flow, your documentation flow. But those are typically the ways that folks do it. But it is an important part of QI because just like with anything related to data, if you can't trust your data as being accurate, you can't trust the results you're getting out of it and, and any of the information you're getting out of it because it's just noise. It's not true. Great. Thank you, Terry. Dan, you may want to add to yeah. that one, but let me add another one onto that. So for you, tell us a little bit more about other ways you can show data, what's helpful in QI, and what is a run chart? Okay. Do I, is it okay if I add on just briefly about Terry's comment before I dive into the charts? Oh, absolutely. Awesome. One thing briefly I want to share that we do in regards to data accuracy in the planning stage of our initiative. So for other PQCs that are listening to this podcast or even sites listening, one thing we do 
that we found success in is we do what we call a wave one of our initiatives and it is not active implementation. What we do is we recruit 20 or so hospitals from across our state that represent academic medical centers, community hospitals, hospitals from rural settings, urban settings, et cetera, to get a representative sample of our state. And we actually do kind of beta testing of our data forms. So we'll bring them the data forms that have been reviewed by our clinical leads, our advisory groups, and we'll do some orchestrated testing before we launch the initiative in full to the rest of the collaborative. And for about a quarter or four months or so, hospitals who are in our wave one will take the data forms and test them out on their sites, see if they can collect the data, and then come back to us with any questions. And we'll have a a few months of webinars where they will present to us what went well, what were measures, like Terry was saying, that needed to be extracted from the EMR, what were things that were not available in the EMR that were being collected at the bedside, what questions had needed data definition updates. And this is a way for us to get buy-in from the teams before we roll out the data form to the entire state. And it also lets us understand before we launch the initiative, what are things that we should be putting in our data definitions and coding so that hospital teams are answering the questions the same way across the 80 or so hospitals doing our initiatives. And so by the time that we, questions will obviously come up when we launch the initiative, when it goes out to the rest of the teams, but we try and get buy-in from the teams and feedback before early on so that we can go to the teams and say, hey, this is something that's been tested out at sites and we have answers to frequently asked questions about how do you understand where you can collect this data, where you can find it in the EMR, and how do you define some of these metrics? Thanks, Dan. And I know Terry and TipQC does the same thing, so that was super to add. All right, well, tell us now about why and ways to show data. So. Totally. Let's do this. And in a, in a podcast medium, I'm going to encourage everybody listening, be it on your commutes or during lunch, to use the theater of the mind as I describe these graphs. And so talking briefly about a run chart, I, I, I imagine lots of folks think of this as the bread and butter of quality improvement initiatives. And so a run chart is is a line chart and it's it's really used to study the collected data for trends and patterns over a specific period of time run charts will really help you monitor data to detect trends and shifts or cycles and then also comparing measures before and after the implementation of solutions to really measure impact and if you've been at a conference for your collaboratives or been on a collaborative learning webinar, you might have seen run charts that have annotations. And this is a really great way for when sites are implementing their processes, they can add little bubble windows on their graphs at certain time points. If the x-axis is the time period and the y-axis is a specific process or outcome measure, Hospitals can annotate certain parts of their graphs and say, hey, we implemented structure measure change here. We implemented a new provider and nursing education campaign here. And be able to understand that after those specific interventions and PDSA cycles or plan, do, study, act cycles, if the measure started to improve. And so 
when you hear the word run in a run chart, a run is really just defined as one or more of the consecutive data points on the same side of a mean line. And the last thing I'll say about run charts before I take a pause is we've learned a lot about quality improvement data from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. And so for sites and PQCs listening who haven't had a chance to sign up and participate in the open school basic certificate in quality and safety, it does a really good job of kind of setting a baseline understanding of how do you look at quality improvement data? How do you understand what a run chart is? How do you understand if the improvements you're making are standardized and, and shifts? I'm not being paid to say this by any means, but our, we really like making sure that our teams have a, a, a solid foundation for understanding these charts. And the IHI Open School does a really good job of explaining it from, from the ground up. One That's other, super. Oh, go, oh, ahead. go ahead, Dan. One other. I, I was going to say, that's super. I think, Terry, we're going to ask you to tell us a little bit more about run charts. And then I think we're going to need to have, we'll call this our episode one, kind of a primer on data. And then we're going to ask you guys if you'll come back again another time and maybe a little more advanced, we can talk about other ways to look at data. But Terry, let me bounce that to you and then we'll close out today tell us about how you guys use run charts sure so to me the key thing with run charts as dan was saying is it's over time very often especially with folks coming from outcomes research they're used to kind of a pre-post test a before after test before we implemented a change and then after and then did it improve the problem with that, getting back to the idea of the family of measures and the idea that you're trying to improve a system, it's really quite complex. And a before and after test can actually hide some of the things that are happening in your system that you wouldn't see if you were actually plotting the data over time. The other thing that's really nice with run charts is if you're plotting your process measures on a run chart and you're plotting your outcome measure on a run chart. And as Dad, Dan said, you're annotating your charts. You can line them up and you're going to be able to show, oh, look, our process measure really started to improve in this month. And maybe two months later, ooh, that's where we really start seeing our outcome measure, you know, improve in turn. And so, again, you can kind of see it more as a system. Run charts are actually quite simple, but the key thing, as Dan was saying, is having that kind of pause at the beginning of your project when you're not actually making any changes to gather some baseline information. What is your system before you start making any changes? Because if you don't know what your system looks like and your outcome measures look like before you start making changes, how do you know your changes are actually making improvement? But if you're starting to collect that data and you're starting to monitoring it with a run chart and get that idea of the baseline, then over time, as you start testing those changes and annotating, you're going to see movement in those run charts that will indicate change and indicate improvement if what you're doing is actually leading to it. So really the crux of QI is, is data over time plotted over time. So again, the x-axis is time, whether that is consecutive patients, whether that is months, whether that is quarters, however frequently you're collecting data, and then your y-axis is some measure that you're monitoring. But as Dan said, there's there's 
plenty of information out there as far as the IHI, lots of other different resources in terms of how to generate a run chart, how to understand a run chart, how to read a run chart. But if you're not collecting your data as you're actually making the changes and you're trying to retrospectively go back and look at your data after the fact, that's not really how QI should be run. And you're going to probably get some very misleading conclusions so that's why it's really important, as Dan was saying, before you start making any changes, get that data kind of in place, figure out those nuances, start collecting it, tracking it and monitoring it, and then throughout the whole thing. And one last thing, the other important thing with run charts is after you've made your changes and you've seen an improvement, a very important thing with quality improvement that we could dive into with session two maybe is the sustainment of your gains. That even though you've made your improvement, if you then back off with all of your monitoring and all of your kind of day-to-day, are we doing this? Are we doing this? You want to make sure that, as Dan was saying, your culture, your system has changed enough where that improvement is going to stick. And sometimes what happens is that improvement slides back to where you were before you were there. So just, just another key thing of run charts. Thanks so much, Terry and Dan, for joining us and getting a primer on QI and data and run charts. And I think we're just at the beginning of this conversation. So I hope you too will join us again for another episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Babies. And I hope the audience will join in again next week. Thanks for joining us. And it was great to talk to both Dan and Terry. We'll have those resources available that they mentioned as well for you if you're interested in those. So thanks again, Dan and Terry. Great to see you both. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee presented by TipQC. TipQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.